Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. This is the podcast where we try and cover the entirety of the news cycle from the serious to the frivolous all in one place. Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. And today we're going to talk about dating app safety, Russell Brand, the ANU stabbing, the VMAs, changes to Queensland laws and Drew Barrymore. But first we would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today the Gadigal people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Before we get into the stories, what's your personal headline of the week? I was saying to you before, my co-star has been so rogue this week <laughs> and it's actually been affecting my own health to be checking it every day. I was thinking about like a, a really random headline and that's it. Every day it's been like, you are not drowning. You are not a child. I got, you're ready to ice your heart. And I basically got one the other day that was like, you're ready to have sex. And I was like, please, I'm, <laughs> I'm literally having breakfast. Give me a second to start the day. I I love Costa. Every day I'm like accurate and I'm like, what's, am I, am I woo woo? Am I more woo woo than I think? I love it. I, we literally just added each other on Costa to check out compatibility. And we're not bad. We're not bad. What's your headline of the week? My headline of the week, I would say my mom actually had to have surgery this week. So oh. she had surgery on her knee and she's actually looking for a place to move to. She's looking to buy an apartment. So she couldn't go to the open houses because she was fresh from surgery. So she sent me and my little brother. So we were going to all these like open houses looking like we were in the market to buy. And everyone was just looking at us like, what's their story? How can they afford this? What's their story? How? Get the Daily Mail And then Charlie and I would kind of, my little brother and I would act like we kind of didn't know each other at it. So it was like these two, like, how, who are these people? These <laughs> solo high flyers, and the bank of mum and dad. It was a really fun day in 30 degree heat. That's really nice. Okay, let's get into it. The federal government is swiping right on increased safety, warning dating apps that if they don't improve their regulation to protect users from sexual violence, they will step in. So basically, the Australian government has called on the dating apps to collectively improve the safety and experience of their users. Specifically, what they're seeking is an industry-wide safety code. So they want this to be a collaborative change that the apps work on together. Okay. To date, though, the major dating apps have only been held to their own internal safety policies, um, which are inconsistent across the industry. So essentially, the communications minister, Michelle Rowland, has come out and said they need to do their part to end violence against women. Interestingly, well, not, it's actually horrifically, 2022 research by the Australian Institute of Criminology found three quarters of people who are online dating had been subjected to some kind of online sexual violence in the last five years. Jeez. I would suggest it's higher. Like yeah. I just feel like personally engaging in a dating app, you are you know you're opening yourself up to the threat of that. Mm. And because it's not like, oh, it it doesn't encompass like, oh, going on a date and having something bad happen. Like this is including people who are sending like sexually explicit messages without consent, sexually abusive photos. Um, sending it's like nudes. Unsolicited. Yeah, unsolicited nudes, harassment unwanted stalking, but basically to date a lot of people are reporting that people can just unmatch, block, or that there's not really any form of accountability through the reporting processes because people just often delete the app and then make a new profile. Yeah. I mean, I say if you get a message that you're like, that's creepy as, yeah. you're just going to un 
match. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you would go through the process of reporting, so that's why I do think the number would be higher. No, absolutely. And this this is just, I, again, I feel like it's pretty standard expectation of people who aren't the apps that if they match with someone, they kind of just don't know what kind of conversation they're entering into. And it's a vetting process, but you're exposing yourself to abuse. And it is abuse, but I think we're almost, like, used to it or, like, desensitised, and that's part mm. of the problem here. Mm. But the deadline is the 30th of June next year for them to bring in this code. Um, but the government says if they're not satisfied with the industry response, they can draft legislation and regulations and implement them themselves. Oh. But what's interesting to me about this story as well is that the code would be voluntary. So what they're saying is we want you to collectively develop this industry-wide standard, but you don't actually have to abide by it. It's not enforceable. What is the point of that? I, I know. I, I know. <laughs> so it's like why force their hand um, if it's not going to be something that's implemented and enforceable? I think they're asking publicly for them to step up. It just feels like it's more like we've got an eye on you. It, yes, it's it's like a put on notice thing. Yeah. So the discussions here centre around better reporting frameworks that actually communicate to users what happens when they report someone on the app. A higher standard and increased obligations being placed on the app to act when someone has been identified as a perpetrator and better contact and communication with law enforcement and reporting to police. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, as we said, the, the voluntary thing bothers me. But again, like as someone who is using the apps, like, I've had plenty of terrible experiences. Have of, you? Yeah, definitely. But I've been using the app since I was probably 18. And I have seen so many dicks that really? I didn't want to see. see. I've never, not over, not over dating apps have I been given any unsolicited nudes. But it is just... Why do people, to someone you don't know, send nudes? I, honestly, the best metaphor I've ever heard on it is it's like, it's a, it's like a dog bringing you a dead bird. <laughs> and it's like, I can see you're really proud of that, but, but I'm going to put it in the bin without ever touching it. Thank you so much for your Thank work you there. Thank you so but much. I, again, what I want to specify here. There's nothing I love more than a solicited, consensual nude sharing. <laughs> but what I don't want is to open my phone and see the worst get a angle, jump scare. the worst lighting, the worst jump scare of all time. And that's really important. This is not a shame exercise. This is an unsolicited, non-consensual yes. abuse statement. Yes. What's interesting is I actually participated in a safety roundtable with one of the apps. I won't name them. A few months ago, it was a brilliant morning tea I went to where we discussed like all these different measures they're trying to implement. And some of the discussions centered around different technology pieces that they were considering like anti-screenshot technology where it like blocks people from taking a screenshot on their phone. I think the current status on some of the apps is when you're sent a new they actually automatically blur it. They can detect that it's a nude oh. image and blur it so that you don't have to open it and get the jump scare or the dead bird mouse, whatever yeah, yeah, the dog yeah. is bringing you. And also things like I've noticed on particular apps when you type something that has any explicit language, they warn you before you click send. They stop you and say, do you really want to send this? And it's like <laughs> I that little like yeah, angel you on your sure? shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> but I think these are good measures, but they need to take it further. But I think even just that alone implemented would be a good Absolutely. Meantime step. Yeah. So I think that, honestly, the conversation is important. The voluntary element is shit, but I'm interested to see how this unfolds. You know what we should implement? What? Everyone should get a rating. So after you've gone, had a chat. Like an Uber system. Like if you've had a chat with them for more than like one day or two days, let's say, or you've been on the date, you you send like a five star or like a two star review. And if you look and you're like, oh, 3.75. I don't know about this guy. This is a very interesting <laughs> dystopia thought, Sarah. It came to me just then. I love it. I haven't fleshed it out. I don't think it would work in practice, I don't but I love the idea. 
Just a quick heads up before we dive into the story. We're discussing some sensitive topics, including sexual assault. Be sure to take care while listening. Comedian Russell Brand has been accused of rape and sexual assault in a documentary released as a joint investigation between the Sunday Times and Channel 4 Dispatches. This is... I wouldn't say shocking, which I think is the worst part of this, in a way. I know, and the way the conversation has unfolded, to be expected, it's another, like, cancel culture, and we're going to get into it. Yeah. Okay, if you don't know who Russell Brand is, and you're trying to figure out where you know him from, he actually got to start early 2000s. He was an MTV host. He then hosted a Big Brother spin-off show, which was quite big in the UK. He then went on to star in St. Trinian's, one of my favourite movies. I've never seen that movie, but I didn't know he was in it. Oh, it's so good. Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Get Him to the Greek. Um, And he's also just been a very successful stand-up comedian throughout all of this. You may also know him as Katy Perry's ex-husband. And if you watch Katy Perry's 2012 documentary, you would already hate him watching that scene where she gets a text from him asking for a divorce moments before she has to go out and perform to thousands of people and you cry in that scene it's so she's so oh it's insane i think about that scene just as much as men think about the roman empire but more on that later (laughs) okay with this documentary first off i will admit i actually wasn't able to watch this myself because you can only watch it in the uk but what i do know about it is that the names of the accusers have been changed and their identities have been concealed for their protection so they're all kind of under pseudonyms in this also from the experts i've seen and from all the reporting surrounding this the investigation is, like, explosive and the victim's details are, like, they really go into each story. So what I've done is I've decided to sort of timeline what the big things from the documentary were. The first alleged victim was in 2006. Now, this woman claims that he sexually assaulted her during a three-month relationship when she was 16 years old and still at school. At the time, Russell would have been a 30 years old. So she told the Times that Russell approached her after she'd been out shopping for the day and he started going through her shopping bags and critiquing her purchases as like a flirting and then took out a dress from one of her bags and said, you're going to wear this on our date next week. She said she went home and told her mom about this and her mother advised her to text him and let him know, like, thank you, but I'm actually only 16, which she did, but he still insisted on the date. They then began a pretty secret relationship, apparently, for the next three months, which she hid from her parents. She says that he referred to her as the child, and apparently he would send a car to her secondary school to take her out of lessons, which the BBC is now investigating because that would be allegedly with a company car and with a chauffeur hired by the BBC. Oh, my God, this is fucked. He also asked her to save his name as Carly in her phone to deceive her parents, and he also allegedly wrote her scripts on how to lie to her parents and advised her to keep the relationship secret from her friends. 2007, a woman named Jordan Martin. This one's... Jordan's actually not included in the documentary. She doesn't speak or appear in it, but she had a six-month relationship with him And she claims that he assaulted her after he found out that she had been in contact with an ex-boyfriend. Now, she made those allegations in a book that was published in 2014. And although she declined to be interviewed by the investigative reporters, she did tell the Sunday Times that she stands by her account. 2012, a woman alleges that Russell Brand raped her against a wall at his Los Angeles home after she refused to join him in a sexual activity with a friend. After the incident, Russell sent her a text message apologising for what happened and described his behaviour as crazy and selfish. 
She then told the Sunday Times that she was treated at a rape treatment centre that same day. She then had therapy treatment there for five months and records seen by the Sunday Times show that she contemplated criminal proceedings but ultimately decided against it as she didn't feel like she could go up against him and she didn't want to put her family through that. 2013, a woman he befriended during AA meetings who he then hired to work for him, I think as an assistant, claims that he sexually abused her while in his home in LA as well. She claims that years later, she spoke to someone who had been working on a project with Russell at the time, who was actually just outside the door when it happened. And he apologized for not helping her and said, I heard you screaming. We were all just so scared of him. She claimed Russell threatened her with legal action if she spoke out. They're sort of the big stories from the investigation. And it's it's really interesting. I have seen excerpts on it just from online grabs. But The documentary is called Russell Brand in Plain Sight. And the point that it's making, you know, I I think what we were saying before with it not being shocking, it's because so much of his public persona and in his comedy, he makes these like really lewd jokes and like insinuates this. Like it it is in plain sight. And that was really interesting. And what they were doing is they were sort of, putting the video of what the girls were saying and then they'd follow it up with a clip from a stand-up comedy or from when he was hosting and they'd almost feel synced together. It's just outrageous and this idea that always comes out with allegations is it was a public secret. It was a public secret. An open secret. Yes. And what tends to happen is that this sort of cultural conversation becomes, oh, but they didn't come forward. Oh, but And it's like you all knew... Yeah, well, so this is what another claim that's in the documentary is that all the networks were really aware of his behaviour and they quite openly discussed it in, in meetings and it was part of his contract to behave. And what that is is really like uh, it's introducing liability to protect the network or the studio or the show that he's working for but doing nothing to protect victims. It's literally protection for the corporation. Well, I think in, in one of them they were saying this woman who spoke out saying she used to work for one of the networks and it was like, oh, okay, so what we'll do is just make sure there's no women on the set. So what happens then? He is elevated and paid and who is limited from access to these positions yeah. and this success that he is experiencing? Mm. You know what was really interesting in it is and I saw the clip of this is that comedian Daniel Sloss um, openly is part of the documentary and speaks out against Russell Brand and says that he is a known predator in the industry and you know Daniel Sloss if you don't know him he's a really respected comedian he's been around since early 2000s as well he's established in his own right so this is pretty wild and like in the clip he actually says this is scary I'm scared of this and there's almost no consequences for me what do people who have suffered and have been subjected to his behaviour, how must they feel? And they said, like, in the investigation, they said of everyone they approached and they spoke to in the industry, like, implying that a few people were like, yes, Daniel was the only one willing to go on record. And can I say, I'm a big Daniel Sloss fan and I have been for a really long time. He actually did a tour called X a few years ago. And mm. that, this video is circulating again at the moment because of this Russell Brand thing. I actually went to this at live. You saw this live? Yeah, yeah. But this particular stand-up night, he does always about a 15-minute stoppage in the middle of a performance, which I would describe as a TED talk. Like, he's funny, 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 serious, gives a really important public statement. And in this one, he talks about a friend of his who raped a female friend of his. And he speaks so clearly about 
the the implications of when men don't call out their friends. Mm. And that's why I think I really respect him coming out and saying this publicly because it would have been a threat to his career to do that, to go up against Brand, who is more famous than him. Yeah. And it's so important for men to stand up against this. And I just, I respect the shit out of this. He's stuck to his word. And what he says here um, is he says there were so many stories. It wasn't just coming from one person or one group of people. There were different incidents over the years and how shocked he was that despite it being an open secret, he continued to be employed. And he continued to be up for movie roles and stuff like that. So really interesting. Russell has sort of responded. He would have got the tip off or he got the tip off, seems like a day before that this was going to air. And he posted a YouTube video and this is what he said in it. These allegations pertain to the time when I was working in the mainstream, when I was in the newspapers all the time, when I was in the movies. And as I've written about extensively in my books, I was very, very promiscuous. Now, during that time of promiscuity, the relationships I had were absolutely always consensual. I was always transparent about that then, almost too transparent. And I'm being transparent about it now as well. And to see that transparency metastasized into something criminal that I absolutely deny makes me question is there another agenda at play? Particularly when we've seen coordinated media attacks before, like with Joe Rogan, when he dared to take a medicine that the mainstream media didn't approve of. And we saw a spate of headlines from media outlets across the world using the same language. I'm aware that you guys have been saying in the comments for a while, watch out, Russell, they're coming for you. You're getting too close to the truth. Russell Brand did not kill himself. I know that a year ago there was a spate of articles. Russell Brand's a conspiracy theorist. Russell Brand's right wing. I'm aware of news media making phone calls, sending letters to people I know for ages and ages. It's been clear to me, or at least it feels to me, like there's a serious and concerted agenda to control these kind of spaces and these kind of voices. And I mean my voice along with your voice. (sighs) I think what is so interesting about that is it's peddling this conspiracy attack that's being spearheaded by him himself. Like, that was actually a genius move. Yeah, because now it's positioning anyone that doesn't believe him as being lost or brainwashed. Yeah. It's positioning literally believing survivors as a mechanism of, like, you're uh, you're the product of the establishment. And to be honest, I've seen the responses from this since, and I think they are really alarming. Like, you can comment on the journalism if you would like, but I think from the outset the journalism looks pretty good. But the response is saying that, the biggest, the establishment, these media outlets are just trying to kill his career and ruin his YouTube show and just silencing him because he has controversial opinions. What the fuck? Yeah. I actually think that it's disgusting, but this is clever from him. Everything that's resurfacing is like when he was critiquing the government on the lockdowns and how Big Pharma was making money out of COVID and he's just he's just someone speaking up and getting too close to the sun. Yeah. People are going to eat that up. I don't think there's space in public discourse for someone to admit and take responsibility for things like sexual assault and rape. Like that's when it gets in. You're criminally admitting to something. You're, it's a confession mm. of crime, mm. right? So not only has he done what the usual expectation is, which is deny, 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 he's taken it a step further to shame and position people who disagree with him as, like, indoctrinated. And that is, like... But I just think on any situation like this, the public discourse is always so messy 
But I think this is going to be beyond anything we've seen. The allegations you listed describe like a lot of potential evidence. So I'm interested to see what emerges in the coming weeks. Yeah, the police have said that they will speak to Channel 4 and the Sunday Times after their investigation about Russell Brand. And in a statement, they also said that they encourage any victims of sexual assault to contact the police. Also, the BBC is launching their own investigation. So I think there will be a lot to follow on this. I think the criticism that I'm seeing and mainly in these like responses is everyone's like, you can't have trial by TV. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think that people always fail to like distinguish between like the presumption of innocence and trial by media and believing a survivor when they come forward. We're Mm. not saying that he's automatically guilty and he should be put in jail and throw away the key. But I think that there's a difference between like we can say, I believe you and I hear what you're saying. I'm going to put that to the test in a court. Mm. And that's what we want to await. That's what we want to see unfold. I also think like the Sunday Times... The Times and Dispatches are all really respectable Yeah, we're not talking TMZ or the Daily Mail. Two 20-year-old female students are in hospital and one remains in a critical condition after a stabbing at the Australian National University in Canberra yesterday. So this is a breaking story, basically. It's still unfolding. I don't actually... I think the most recent update is that that second student, the second woman, is in a critical condition still in hospital. Police and ambulance were called to the ANU at around 2.45 yesterday afternoon after they received reports of a stabbing. The two young women had sustained stab wounds and then a 34-year-old man also was assaulted but had minor injuries and did not need to be taken to hospital. Oh, my God. So a 24-year-old man named Alex Ophel is in police custody... He is a former student of the university. Now, when I was looking at this this morning, I saw when I Googled this person's name that in 2017, Alex Ophel was charged with five counts of attempted murder after he attacked his tutor and classmates in August 2017 at ANU. Um, he attacked them with a baseball bat in class. Holy shit. Yeah, he just stood up, got out of like a black duffel bag and started just swinging basically and like wielding the weapon. Um, he was found not guilty of attempted murder as the court accepted that he had been mentally impaired with schizophrenia. So this is a person that six years ago has attacked five people on campus and now yesterday he is allegedly, you know, he's the person who's been taken into police custody. I don't believe charges have been laid as of yet. I'm sure they will be. I'm sure this is an unfolding story. But I don't actually, like when I was looking at this morning, it wasn't, that link wasn't being clearly made by media publications between really? the 2017 story. I'm sure it will be today. I'm sure that the, the dots will be joined. But um, this is, will be an unfolding story and... There's really not much more to add because it's all allegedly at the moment and we don't know we don't have any further updates on the women in hospital. We know one is okay, stable, and one is in a critical condition, but this story will be unfolding as we speak. Selena Gomez learns the hard way that asking not to be a meme is a surefire way to definitely become a meme. <laughs> so the VMAs have outdone themselves this year. I would say one of the better award shows we've had in a really long time. I think it's because in past years, they actually stopped panning to audience reactions. Oh. And this year, they've brought it back. And that's where all the drama that is. That is where all the drama that's is. That's where all the fun is. Can you imagine being a celebrity and knowing the whole time you're being filmed for reactions? That yeah. would be so no, stressful. No, I know why they would have. I know why they hate it. But if you're going to have a four-hour show We've and you have expect some people to watch, you've got to give us something to So it. true. Let's go through the winners. Taylor Swift sweeps all four major awards, but she won nine in total. So she won Artist of the Year. She won Video of the Year for Andy Hero. She won Album of the Year. She won Song of the Year. Ice Spice won Best New Artist. Shakira uh, performed like a medley of her, all her greatest hits. She looked incredible. She was the Vanguard Award. Wow. And Taylor Swift becomes the first artist in history to win Video of the Year four times. 
And at that award show, she won more in that singular show than Kanye ever has. <laughs> Slay the queen. <laughs> I think when I'm like speaking of like audience reactions, Taylor Swift, I just think they kept the camera exclusively on her. And I know she's known for this in award shows. She was plastered. It was so fun. Like it was, she just looked fun. We, I know that she looked like I wanted to be her friend. And the what I actually found funnier than watching it in the award show was when I saw a video of her walking out of the after party. And it's like, you know, it's like you're really drunk. Like say you're like 16 and you're drunk and then you have to like go home and pretend you're not drunk to your mom or something like yes. that. And you're like really overthinking it. That's how she looked walking out. And I was like, that's so funny. I, I love, love that so much. Side note about how like huge Taylor Swift is. Like, I know I talk about her so much. USA Today has now recruited a Taylor Swift reporter full-time to capture the music and cultural impact of her. Wow, I want that a job. A full-time Taylor Swift reporter. That's incredible. That's how much news there is. Another thing that happened was Megan Thee Stallion and Justin Timberlake fight really? backstage. I didn't see this. Well, this is really funny. So there was like a video of, she looked like she was like yelling at him, right? And everyone's like, what is going on there? And these cameras are like panned to it. And that kind of did the rounds is like, what's going to come from that? Really funny, a source has told Variety there was actually zero fight between them. He yelled at her, it's so nice to meet you. And then she yelled back, no, no, this doesn't count. This don't count. We've got to meet proper. But like the way they were yelling at each other. Aggressive LinkedIn greeting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there was actually nothing there, but I did think that was going to be a story, but it's not really. And then the other big thing, like if the camera wasn't panning to Taylor Swift, it was panning to Selena Gomez. She was the opposite end of the scale to Taylor Swift. Like, she sat at that award show and I have to admit she looked miserable. Like, she looked deadpan. Um, a lot of people were calling her out for, like, she stayed seated when everyone else was up dancing. She kind of looked, were checking her phone. Her reactions was just, like, sad the whole time. One of the most noticeable reactions she had was when Chris Brown's name got called out for being nominated and she made this like really visible face of disgust. Good. And then the second one was actually during Olivia Rodrigo's performance. So oh. Olivia Rodrigo performed Vampire, like kind of recreated the music video, did a great job. And You then, would think that, Sarah. I would think that. <laughs> and then she kind of got up and the stage started malfunctioning. Light started falling, music started blaring, um, the stage looked like it like tilted. Like it looked like it was going to set on fire, the stage. And then this like um runner came on and like pulled Olivia off, and everyone in the crowd looks so confused. Selena Gomez looks almost pissed off when they pan to her and she's like holding her ears. And then Olivia then runs back around and comes back on stage and like with another song, and it turns out like it was all part of the bit. But Selena's reaction just went viral immediately because it did look like she was dissing almost oh but everyone was like no i think she was just completely overwhelmed by like sensory yeah sensory like overwhelmed you know what it sounds like it just sounds like to me that selena just doesn't have she doesn't really care for making the expressions that she's being filmed she's just having a natural reaction she can't really hide her facial expression and to be fair i would do the exact same thing i can't hide a single thought i've ever had truly well she then posted on her instagram story and said i will never be a meme again i'd rather sit still than be dragged for being myself much love which I was like fair enough but I don't think you actually have a say in whether you become a meme no interesting Sarah so agency <laughs> agency is removed for the bit if the joke works I actually agree I think being I a meme is fantastic a... I would love nothing more than to be a viral global meme but I guess the thing is that for someone who's as famous as Selena Gomez she's like the most followed person on Instagram she'd kind of just be over it and be like I don't need this I know but 
you just who who do you speak to? I, what what corporation so are you going to be like? True. Hey, head of memes, but to, don't post this. To be fair, we're talking about what she's saying in response, not the meme, really that much. You know what I mean? Like, I think that she's worked. It's worked what she's done. I just think. Imagine if all celebrities were like, I also would like to not be a meme. Like, it's just well, you don't have the say. You don't. I agree, but I think it's interesting that she's just willing to have a go at saying no and being like, you can do whatever you want, but I oppose this and I don't agree to it. I think that's an interesting take. To be fair, she was memed a lot recently. She was memed like I swear, like a week ago when she posted a photo in a blanket. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I did. But the other thing that happened was I think everyone was paying really close attention to like if Taylor Swift was like clapping or looking supportive of Olivia Rodrigo when she came on stage. Looked it, seemed fine. If you were Taylor Swift, you would pay close attention to doing that. Yeah, you're not going to be fueling it. But yeah, it was a great, great award show. Yeah, I love that rap. Thank you. Adults charged with rape and other sexual offences in Queensland can be named before they are committed to stand trial from October of this year after legislation passed last week. So essentially in Queensland there are currently laws which prevent accused offenders of sexually violent crimes from identification in the media and public records before they stand trial. So they can... In, in regards to all other crimes and in all other states, the current legislation is that you can be named for any other crime, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's as soon as you're charged with it. So the law was incredibly outdated and its existence was really predicated on the belief that when someone makes an accusation of a sexually violent crime, they may be doing it maliciously to damage the reputation of the person they're accusing. Yeah. But last week, the law was overturned after advice from like the Women's Justice Task Force and women's legal services around Queensland have been advocating for this for a while. So Queensland is the last state to reform this law, but they're not the last jurisdiction in Australia because the Northern Territory still protects the anonymity of accused perpetrators until they're set to stand trial, basically. Okay. There's still a process which allows people to apply for the suppression of their identity through something called a non-publication order. So it would be the decision of the court whether to allow the accused to retain their anonymity based on submissions in court from both the accused and the alleged victim. Okay. I also think it's worth noting, and this is something I was reading about, that the Queensland government is going to provide like a, a media kit to journalists basically to guide them on how to report on sexually violent crimes. I think it's specifically looking at like the actual legislation around what they can and can't say. But I'm also interested to access this guide because I want to know if they're developing guidelines and recommendations around how to, you know, report on these matters in a trauma-informed way. Mm. I also think it's interesting, this idea of, like, the guidelines, because I'm like, for journalists and the media, like, I think they know how to report on these things. I think they choose not to do it appropriately. So I'm interested to see if this changes anything and just to read what they're recommending as well. I agree. So why is this legislation change notable now. I'm going to be really careful with the language I use here because we don't want to get sued for defamation. No, we don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. No. But a high-profile man who was accused of two counts of rape in Toowoomba in 2021 has been protected under the existing legislation and has not been publicly named and has not been committed yet to stand trial. So the legislation, when it comes into effect on October the 3rd, will be retrospective. So it's not just from the future. It can look back at past cases that are yet to stand trial. Also, anyone who's been currently protected by that is Is, now going to be in the open. Exactly. It's really a free-for-all, basically. Yeah. So... The lawyer for this man has already indicated he will seek a non-publication order to protect his anonymity and continue to suppress his name. Can they do that? They well, they can. That's that's part of the. There's exceptions to the legislation. They can apply for that. It'll have to go but through the Senate. On what grounds? Um. Well, it would be something like for this guy. It would be something like that. His name coming out would significantly damage his reputation because of his past. Okay, get into it. Yeah. So basically in a few weeks, there's the potential for a pretty explosive allegation to come out against someone that I would suggest the whole country knows the name of uh, uh, regards to an, a 
an accusation of rape. How do you have this insight to know who it is? I am very in tune person. (laughs) (laughs) I know this because I have a very keen eye for court lists. I'm not joking. In January, there was articles coming out about this high-profile man who was accused and it was sort of like that he was going to court today. He didn't actually go to court. His lawyer represented him. But you can actually access daily court lists um, that tell you who's going to court each day and Mm. it has their full name. So you can't – the media can't report the allegation with the name, but you can look at the court list for the day and see everyone who's attending the court and then you can see what the matters were. (laughs) So you went and looked at the court list – and saw what would have been like his initials and la- like his full initial name and matched them together. Yes. And you're confident. Oh, I'm. I'm not confident. I'm sure. Wow. Wait. So when does this October when the third? We- October the third. Get ready for October the third. That is not far. I think the seriousness of this and what it's going to do on October the third is proven by the fact that every media publication is reporting high-profile man. They all know. We all know who this is. I wish I could say what it rhymes with, but I cannot do that. So anyway, brace for October 3rd. Drew Barrymore has faced a world of backlash after she attempted to bring her daytime talk show back amid the Hollywood strike. This is a great story. This one has been messy. So pretty much Drew Barrymore announced that it would premiere its new season on September 18th despite the strike, saying it would still somehow be in compliance with the WGA guidelines. To absolutely nobody's surprise, everyone, including the union, criticised that decision and immediately arranged for picket lines to go in front of her studios, where she'd already begun recording new episodes. Um, In a statement, the WGA, which is the writers' union, said, Drew Barrymore should not be on the air while her writers are on strike fighting for a fair deal. In reality, shows like this cannot operate without writing. That is struck work. What does that mean? Well, I think what Drew Drew's plan was was to go back and be completely unscripted, yes. and not have writers because then Jesus. then she'd be able to get around. It. That would be horrible. You'd really see the oh, value of writers. You would see the value of writers. You see the value of writers when you get to her apology video. What? She'll she missed them on that slay joke. But <laughs> looking at the mountain of criticism, she then originally posted a I would describe it as a sort of apology. It was very long and very teary. And it is now deleted from her Instagram. Oof. And essentially what she did was apologise and then immediately doubled down on her decision. And Um, said what, like? At the beginning, she was like, I've been through so many ups and downs in my life. This is just one of them. I deeply apologise to the rioters and to the unions. I won't polish this with bells and whistles. I just stand out there and accept. Pretty much, like, she went on to say, like, I'm not going to stand behind, like, a PR. I'll come face this. And then she goes, we aren't going to break rules and we will be in compliance. I wanted to do this because, as I said, this is bigger than me and there are other people's jobs on the line. And since launching live in the pandemic, I just wanted to make a show that was out there for people in sensitive times. And I weighed the scales and I thought, if we could go on during a global pandemic and everything that the world has experienced through 2020, why would this sideline us? Oh, Jesus. Okay, I think the reference to the pandemic is really weird because I just don't think it correlates. No. I just think it's an emotional play. I think she's just trying to, like, induce people's, like, an emotional response to her and make people feel sympathetic and it's not really working. I just want to bring joy to the world. (sighs) Like, I also think by saying the show is bigger to me, um, you know, and that's fair. Like, she does have crew members that would need work and I get that. 
And obviously that's a nod to her very many crew members that are on her payroll. But by her own admission earlier, the show had went dark before the strike began, but then it was actually on a previously scheduled hiatus over the summer. So it was going to be off anyway. So it was going to be off anyway. So it hasn't actually disrupted her plans or caused, you know, months of unanticipated hardship for her employees yet, to be fair. Of course, the reaction to the videos, not great. It made a bad situation worse. Rosie O'Donnell, who's another actor turned daytime television star, took to Instagram and she reshared a letter that was written by a writer called Elizabeth Gray and it was directed at Drew and it said, Ask someone to craft you three sentences. They should follow along these lines. I made an error. I apologise to the WGA for disrespecting the work of professional writers. I apologise to all union members who are withstanding real hardship as I live a life of luxury. And I think that was the main thing. It's like... She could you're, pay. You're actually doing all right. Like, you're, but, but this, this is exactly the thing: is that this strike is actually representative of a very large workforce who are underpaid. But the top one percent of that workforce are living a life of luxury, and that's why it's really important that those people mm. stand on the same side as the people that are experiencing hardship. Exactly. She has crossed the picket line, and I actually don't think she'll recover from this. I agree. Actress Alyssa Milano also spoke out against Drew from the picket lines, and it, I think the sentiment was really good. The point was, is like. This might have been the right decision for you, but this was not the right decision for this movement. And, you know, I think why is Drew getting this much backlash, like, in particular? Because there's other shows that have decided to go back, like the Bill Mayer show. And he came out and was like, it's been five months, time to get back to work. But people expect that from him, if that makes sense. That's also in his domain. Drew, I think everyone held to a different standard again. And she is a huge name. So I think by Drew crossing the picket line... What it sent to networks and other projects is, well, if Drew did it, maybe we can too. And I think it opens the floodgates. And I think that's why she was held to a higher standard. But the thing about that is seeing the response to her actually stops that. I think it locks those gates back up. Well, yeah, like Jennifer Hudson was meant to go back and after just watching Drew's downfall has also said, I'm going to push back the premiere date. Two days ago, Drew posted to her Instagram and said, I've listened to everyone. I am making the decision to pause the show's premiere until the strike is over. I have no words to express my deepest apologies and to anyone I've hurt. It goes on, but like, yeah, she's very much like, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Too long didn't read. Sorry. Sorry is pretty much that. What I'm confused by is like, how was she originally justifying any of this? Well, pretty much CBS Media Ventures, which is who produces the show, they came out and noted that, yes, although Drew Barrymore is a member of the union, she works with a talk show which is under a separate agreement called The Network Code. And essentially this thing called The Network Code makes it permissible to go back to work as long as the hosts and guests don't promote uh, struck work. So it was like, yeah, we'll have these guests on, but we just won't talk about like anything upcoming or any of their projects. So it was possible, it just wasn't in good taste. No. If no, that makes that's sense. a perfect description. This is the Q&A section. We're back. I'm really excited for this Q&A. But yes, if you have any questions you wanted to ask us or any follow-ups or if you want to get involved in the Friday Q&A that we do on socials, please follow BigSmallTalk underscore pod on Instagram. But yeah, this week's Q&A is please talk about the Roman Empire trend. An incredible 
lengthy, complex question, but you people just so want funny. us to chat, chat generally clearly. If you don't know what it is, basically there's been this viral trend in the last week where women have been going mostly to their male partners and asking them how often they think about the Roman Empire. And all of the videos I've seen, the men say, it's, it's always just an obscure number. I love how obscure the number is. Like men will say like three times a month and you're like, so not weekly, three times a month, just <laughs> oh, like every nine days. It's I'll, so funny. Some men are saying multiple times a day. Yeah, but this is what's insane is you, you're watching this trend and you're like, surely not, yeah. right? Because it's just, you would think it's never. You really would think maybe not since high school history class. So I've gone and asked all these like men in my life, like how often? And it's like, oh, nearly every day. What the fuck? How do you have time for that? But also, like, I love it because a lot of people from Cheek were messaging me and they were like, I think it's, like, really bad because they're, like, thinking about violence. And I was like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what's happening here. No. Do you want some of the responses yeah, I got please, when I asked? please. One was Marcus Aurelius and mm. Stoicism. That's it. Stoicism. See, I've been getting, I see a bridge and then I'm captured by it. Or <laughs> I see aqueducts or I think about roads. Or gladiators. Yeah, or plumbing systems or central heating. It's not actually like a violent thing most of the time. It's actually like structural. What the fuck? That and time. Do you want to talk about the video you showed me this morning about what else they're thinking about? Oh, there was a really funny video I saw that was like other things that would cross men, like cross their minds would be... The Mongolian Empire. Jesus. Daydreaming about a situation where they are the hero and have to save their friends and family, like a self-sacrifice moment daydream. Oh. What was the other one? Fucking hell. Oh, and like historical wonders like Stonehenge or like the pyramids. Okay, that's interesting to me. And then it got us thinking about like what are the female equivalents. And there's so many TikTok videos that are naming like a lot of things. Things like, I love this one, I said this to you this morning, um, thinking about your ex-best friend. Like, how yes. often do you think about your ex-best friend? Or I got a lot that were like Titanic, Diana. I did feel very seen when I saw one of the top ones of Salem Witch Trials because I do think about the Salem Witch Trials quite a bit because I was quite obsessed with The Crucible, the play, mm, for a while. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I Learning quite so much. liked it. Like, I always think about with the Salem Witch Trials how, like, one of the main ways they decided if you're a witch or not is they'd go and put you in a body of water. And then if you drowned, they'd be like, oh, whoopsie, she's not a witch. But then if you survived, they'd be like, she's a witch, better at the stake. kill her. So you were done either way. So you were just <laughs> deciding realistically how you wanted to go. That's not funny. But like, <laughs> so, but you know what I mean? I'm like, that was, I think about it, I'm like, that was ridiculous. They would burn us at the stake. And that's really nice. Oh, but also the other thing I think about is like how easy it was to be like, she's a witch. Yeah, you could Anyone do Anyone who's like, she's a witch. <laughs> yeah. mm, she's, that's you're, witchy. You're done. So entertaining. But the then, other thing is the French Revolution. Quickly. Oh, yeah, like, but I that's really a really get stuck on that. Yeah. So this is the difference. There's obviously this like TikTok trend about like things that like women think about generally. But then we were like, well, what do you think? Not as a gender, but as a person, what do you think about weekly, daily? Like what are your weird things? And your, one of yours was the French Revolution. We have actually so many. We're going to make a post on Instagram about it with our list because it got out of hand fast. There was about four of us sitting around really thinking about what we think about on a weekly or monthly basis. It starts obvious and it gets more niche. And I think that's fun. Yeah. I just want to know who thought to ask this question first. Same. I want to find the source material. I want to find the original person yes. and thank them and declare them as the greatest psychologist of our time. Oh, incredible. I think it is, though. Well, I'm excited to collate our list. Yes. Please look out for it. It's very special. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening again this week. Please go follow us um, on Instagram at bigsmalltalk underscore pod. And we will see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.